0: All right. <clears throat> <clears throat> Aha. And three, <laughs> two, one. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Pop podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ty.
1: Hey, what's up?
0: What is up is that if you are listening to us on your podcatcher of choice, please make sure that you give us a five-star rating and reviews. that way it helps us out. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, please like the video, subscribe to the channel, hit that alert bell, so that way you get notified every week when we're posting new videos and exclusive content, such as outtakes, which are only available on YouTube. And speaking of exclusive stuff, Ty, do you know what I wanted to talk about real quick?
1: I have a feeling it might be our Patreon.
0: Dude, that is a great feeling you have. Indeed, it is about the Patreon. It is officially Live, everybody. That's right. You can give us money. Please act like you've been there before. All right. Everybody calm down. (laughs) Um, But yes, you can you can give us money for uh for bonus content and uh you know cool peeks behind the scenes and the opportunity to interact with us directly. And uh I'll I'll you know what? Let me tell you a little bit about the tiers real quick. There's gonna be three tiers. uh, the 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 first tier here is the proletariat and the working class, the people. $3 a month gets you early access to our episodes. It gets you access to the social media drama that I get into with all of my liberal friends on Facebook. Um, (laughs) Nice. And assholes on Twitter. And, of course, in this tier, fans get to request the content they want to hear. That's right. You can recommend and vote on what movies, shows... Comic books, books, whatever it is you want us to review next, and we will be uh, using using Patreon to decide what our episodes will end up being. Uh, we'll also have discussion boards, so if you want uh, kind of a more exclusive place to chat with us and the other political popheads, you can uh, you can do that through through the, the Patreon. And of course, we're also going to have shout shoutouts. Uh, thank you to the people who are. Who are supporting us? So you'll be getting shouted out on the episodes. Um, And, you know, if there's like not a lot of you, then you'll probably all get your name shouted out at some point on the podcast. Unless you don't want us to let us know. Next is the $6 tier, it's the comrade tier with which you get everything in the uh, proletariat tier, plus mini-reviews, because I'm always watching stuff and having thoughts on it, so I'll be recording those. You can get your own political profile pic, a nice simplified piece of art of your face that I will draw for you to use on whatever social media you'd like. Uh, Also, shout-outs with promotion. So let's say you're one of our fans, but you also have an Etsy shop, or maybe you have your own podcast or something. We will be promoting whatever projects you're working on. And the... Third tier is the resistor tier. That's right. At $9 a month, you will get access to monthly watch-alongs. These watch-alongs will uh, be you being able to watch movies in real time uh, through Zoom or Skype or Discord or Twitch. We'll work it out uh, with with myself and or Tyler uh, or just myself. We'll figure it out, but we're going to make it work. Sorry I called you Tyler. Uh, Also, the Politipop Book Club. That's right. I'm going to be uploading audio booches, which are my version of audio books, to the Patreon. We already have the introduction that I... myself and chapter one to how to survive anything anywhere a handbook of survival skills for every scenario and environment i'll be uploading a chapter each week that i am recording and throwing in my own ridiculous commentary it's kind of like audible but less official and maybe a little more fun i don't know and uh of course we have bonus episodes too so if ty and i are doing reviews of of other things or maybe housekeeping episodes that um that you know it might be just us riffing or whatever just us talking and we don't want to put it out like as an official episode we'll throw it onto the patreon so so that's right um tell all your friends tell your parents tell your wives it's a perfect christmas
1: gift you know just in time for the holidays
0: it really really is to them and to us Now, getting into the episode, today we are reviewing one of mine and my wife's favorite shows. This is the show that IndieWire.com called a slow, brutal disaster. The show Entertainment Weekly called Soapy Trash that badly wants to be taken seriously. (laughs) And I have forced my brother into watching it, my co-host into watching it. That's right. We are going to be reviewing the Paramount Network's uh, show Yellowstone. What did you think of what you saw, Ty? It's
1: interesting. Um, I wouldn't say it's like totally grabbed me as like one of the best shows I've ever seen, but I'm interested to see what happens.
0: It's like a solid popcorn flick as a as a show. Um, and uh, and the more that you that you learn about the creator, the more it all starts to make sense. Do you know uh, who Taylor Sheridan is? Uh, just
1: what I saw from the videos you sent me. Otherwise, I do not.
0: Okay, so Taylor Sheridan uh, turns out that he actually grew up in Texas and in uh in i want to say it was uh north north wyoming is where he was raised he was you know so he spent a lot of time on reservations and he eventually got into film he did some acting in the 90s uh but primarily writing and directing is his passion so he did hell or high water oh that's a great movie starting to make sense right he uh he did sicario another great movie (laughs) and he did wind river which is the the whole movie is about an MMIW case for the uninitiated. It's a uh, murdered and missing indigenous women. We're going to be using that a lot during this episode and we're going to be uh, we're gonna be talking about uh, what it means a, a little bit later on when we get into the native specific stuff about Yellowstone. That being said, trigger warning because nope, no we don't no, we don't do the alarm for that one. We do it for the the spoiler alert, not for trigger warnings. Those are serious things. Um, anyway, we're going to be doing a trigger warning for uh, for, for violence against women, uh, for for sexual assault. And uh, you know what? While we're at it, why don't I get it out of the way? I know I'm talking about Taylor Sheridan, but Ty, do you hear that? Oh my God, is that, a, is that what I think it is? It's not a t- tornado warning, which we got last night. <laughs> That's true, we did. I think it's a uh, spoiler alert. That's damn right Ty. it is a spoiler alert this is your official spoiler warning so for those of you who have not watched Yellowstone and actually are interested in it uh, for some reason years after its the first season's come out i feel like you were either on it or you weren't um the, you know you're not going to like get into it later unless <laughs> I mean, it's on the paramount network so i podcast. feel like
1: not a lot of people are seeing it but
0: yeah, I mean it's it's that and bar rescue. That's like that's what they got going on. Um, but yeah, so for those of you who don't want spoilers, uh, some of them detailed, some of them a little bit more nebulous. Uh, for Yellowstone, please watch the show before before moving forward. Um, but yeah, so so Wind River is a is a movie starring Jeremy Renner and Caitlin Olsen that uh, the whole plot centers around uh, a reservation in Wyoming in which uh it's called the wind river reservation and there's a a case of a missing uh indigenous woman and jeremy renner is one of the people who has to work on the case along with along with caitlin olsen so oh man uh, we should have reviewed that right we should have just reviewed that instead of watching (laughs) hours of scattered episodes of a a tv series um but yeah so it, it taylor sheridan I think it goes without saying that he does – while he is definitely a white dude, he has used his platform to talk about native issues and indigenous issues because it is something that's close to him. He has spent time on reservations. He is very close with these people. So uh, I I, I would just want to give him kudos. It seems like he's – like he he's in that kind of like Michael Bay Zack Snyder camp, but definitely like the most uh, socially really? aware of them all. I, I think well he said in in an interview, and I'll put a bunch of interviews in the show notes. He said like he said I don't want movies that are gonna preach at me. Like nobody wants to go to those. He's like I like to make action movies, but. I, you know, I want to make action movies that have a message that do talk about real issues. That way, uh, you know, people learn about it because a lot of social justice starts with the arts. Yeah, I was going to so say uh, there's
1: way more depth to his films than a Michael Bay film. Way that. <laughs> okay, that, that is so. fair. He does,
0: he does, he does like to do the action stuff a lot. And, yeah, there's um, definitely action and, for sure. Yeah. And if you do watch, uh, when you do watch more of the show, hopefully you'll realize that, uh, yeah, like he takes a lot of opportunities, like stuff he might've not been able to do in movies. He's like, let's fucking put it in here. Let's, <laughs> you know, because, cause this whole, you know, this whole ranch is, you know, full of not just ranchers, but they're also marksmen and soldiers and criminals. <laughs> like yeah, they can do yeah. everything, you know, to the um, best. But, uh, another thing I noted about Taylor Sheridan is that after the allegations came out against Harvey Weinstein, uh, of uh you know of the Weinstein Company, which helped produce Wind River, uh, Taylor Sheridan cut ties with the Weinstein Company and gave oh, wow. all of his royalties to the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. That's amazing. Right? And, you know, and they and they specifically like make it a point to to mention uh you know in uh one of the episodes of, of Yellowstone that they they do talk about the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center at the at the end of the episode like so they had that up there so I I thought I thought that was really cool um but before we talk about the episodes Ty how about you give us the plot to them Yellowstone
1: a ranching family in Montana faces off against others encroaching on their land
0: short and sweet the way that I would describe this and I described it to you is um I would say it's kind of like a modern Western Game of Thrones, or like a modern Western Sopranos, because Definitely. it, you know, they're, they're it's full of very complicated characters. It's got action. It's got politics. It's got love. It's got death. You know, it's it's got a little bit of everything, and it also has a bit of culture in it too, not just talking about the Native American stuff. But I know you said you're not specifically into like the ranching. Um, you know, being that. Uh, my wife has gotten me a little bit more into like country culture and, you know, like riding horses and going to ranches and stuff like it it is. It is something that that does interest me to an extent. You know, you notice the past couple of years I started walking around with a Carhartt vest. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I, I guess it's like know. the
1: vegan part of me, you know, it's just like not into the into the cattle stuff. But,
0: you know, I get it. I get it. Oh, yeah, that's 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 100% fair. Yeah, because they you know, they do like a lot. It's not always riding horses. It's yeah, they're raising cattle to be used as meat and shit like or the bull know.
1: riding or like, you know, roping up horses. So that's something like, eh. but you know what, you're not even really supposed to like these characters anyway. So it's fine. I feel like they're, they're not very, uh, they're not very good people right off the bat, you kind of realize that.
0: Yeah. And like, you know, obviously with the animal stuff, but animal stuff aside, like everybody in this show is or almost everybody, I should say, is a villain in some way, shape or form. And, you know, there's only one, I'd say, like 100 percent innocent person in the show. The Monica? And it's or Tate. Um, I was actually going to say Tate. OK, uh, who is. Uh, yeah. Who's uh, who's, you know, Monica and Casey's son. Um, But I guess uh, I guess real quick. I just I just want to talk about a few of the characters, and uh, just so you know, just so the listeners have an idea of who we're talking about. Right. Um. How how much of the show did you see again? Uh, I've seen four full episodes and uh, a
1: bunch of clips and scenes.
0: Okay, cool. Because because yeah, a big thing I was nervous about was like I suggested this, and I was like, dude, it does so much for Native people, and and talks so <laughs> much about this story. And then as I'm rewatching it, I'm like. Wow, I was like this is like a very white centric show. Like it centers on like I mean, what show isn't in the United States, yeah. but like it really the narrative is really around the white people and like the native stuff is kind of secondary. But um but I am glad that that in you, you know, like watching a couple more episodes you were able to see that that there there is more native centric stuff and they bring it
1: up a lot, you know what I mean? So like you're right, that
0: definitely focuses on, you
1: know, this white family, but Uh, The native stuff is is frequently talked about. They're shown on the reservation a lot Um, So it is important to the to the overall story
0: yeah, the, the main uh, family owns the Yellowstone Ranch. They're the Dutton family. Kevin Costner plays the lead patriarch, uh, John Dutton. And he is, if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, he's the Tywin Lannister of the family. He, he knows where all the bodies are buried figuratively and literally. Uh, he also is the one who gives all the orders, whatever they may be. And uh, then, of course, you have the the black sheep of the family who is who is his son Jamie Dutton who I relate to Tyrion he is definitely the smartest out of the whole group um but he's his intellect is rivaled by his sister Beth who is just fucking ruthless as all get out we'll we'll, we'll talk about her <laughs> yep she's the Cersei Lannister uh, we'll talk about her as it goes as it goes along and then um uh, complicated protagonist of the family that gets along with with all of his uh, siblings, not as well as Jamie does with his sister, though. Um, <laughs> is uh, is Casey, and Casey is uh, the. He starts off as such an interesting character because he doesn't live on the ranch with his family. He hasn't seen his family in a little bit. It's kind of a touch-and-go situation with them. Yeah. Really, he's been living on uh, the Broken Rock Reservation. Broken Rock is in is a, a made-up uh, tribe and reservation, by the way. It's, uh, it's fictional, created just for the show, uh, which I think was actually a pretty good call because while a lot of this stuff is factual in that it's talking about actual events that happen all around uh in in different reservations like i think this is kind of like the reservation that's made to represent a little bit of every every reservation but also while creating a fictional tribe like or creating a fictional reservation excuse me you don't have to like adhere to specific things because the show does try to be realistic in 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 a lot of regards um yeah it gives them more creative freedom yeah uh, but so so yeah, you have Casey. Casey is kind of a troubled soul because you know we'll find out later on why he and his family don't really talk. Uh, he um, he is a veteran, which is a, a big part of his character that he clearly. I don't know if he necessarily suffers from PTSD, but he does have a lot of regrets about the things he had to do overseas. He doesn't like to talk about it, and but, he, but he certainly doesn't suffer from the ability to kill because <laughs> no, no. he is killing left and right from. in a few episodes that I've seen. He's he's too good at it. Like, he is like every Jason Statham character, <laughs> yeah. like rolled into one. He's, he's like, like, God, I do want it. to do this. <laughs> Here we go, kill but it yeah. again. Yeah, he's he's like Crumbopulous Michael from Rick and Morty. <sighs> Here I go killing. Again. Yep, I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. <laughs> and and there was uh there was an older brother Lee who dies at the end of the first episode, which that surprised um, me.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I I completely forgot about. It. I thought he was in at least two episodes. I don't know what happened that that early on. Man, imagine uh, getting cast for that role. You know, you're like, oh, you're part of the (laughs) Dutton family. You're in one episode. Fuck. I'm playing Kevin Costner's son. I'm fucking set. You know, (laughs) I'm set. And uh, of of course, there's also Rip, who is uh, he's kind of like the enforcer. He's the guy who who is like the head rancher on the on the ranch. He's John Dutton's right hand man. And um, did they give you his origin story yet, or no? No, I just saw him
1: beat up some guys for beating up. Jimmy. Jimmy, who had, uh, who has, I guess the the um, the brand, right? Because only certain people are branded on the ranch, and the rest are just hired
0: help. Branding is obviously a practice that's used to. Uh that's used on cattle and livestock, so that way you mark them as your property. But the Duttons have a family tradition where they take it a step further. There are men and women on this ranch who are sworn to Yellowstone. Like this is what they will live for, and and what they're going to die for. And they get branded with the Yellowstone brand. Uh, for example, in the first episode, we see Jimmy, who is he's a two time loser. He's a thief. He's he's into drugs. Um, he you know he's he's just gotten out of pr- prison and he's getting set to go back in. Um, Rip, who's like the most badass motherfucker of Yellowstone, uh, ranch. He he comes to to Jimmy and um and brands him and makes him part of part of the the Yellowstone family. And like you said, there is an episode where some dude who's just kind of a hired hand passing through. He starts shit with Jimmy, and Rip doesn't stand for that. Like he represents all of the ranchers. So if you're gonna fight anyone, you're gonna fight him. Even if you're another like Yellowstone guy trying to fight another Yellowstone guy, like Rip won't have it. Like he doesn't yeah. want that kind of tension. I, I want to like rip, but he seems a little too macho sometimes for me. you know what he's he's the kind of guy who who grows on you and and okay. you'll see why like I don't know exactly if this is a good representation of it, but the show not only plays out like Game of Thrones, but it also simultaneously plays out like an anime. And, like, Rip's whole, like, history is very much the whole, like, you know, I could have saved the person I loved if I was stronger. And so, like, now he's, he like, he'll he never, <laughs> like, I, I kid you not. And so now, like, as the, you know, something happened to him as a kid, you know, and as an adult, he's, like, the hardest motherfucker there there ever was. And um, he'll be the very best, like, no one ever was. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to do some uh, checking in in later episodes that have nothing to do with Yellowstone, just to be like, so what do you think? We'll do, you know what? We'll make that bonus <laughs> episodes for the Patreon. Checking in go. with Yellowstone. Checking oh, Ty, What did you think of this one? <laughs> um, but yeah, so so let's talk about how he and a lot of the men in this show are are forced to be macho. There's uh, there's certain representations of masculinity in it that I want to talk about just for a bit because you know it is it is an important part of the show. But we are really here for the native stuff. Um, I do think that this show offers a critique of that same toxic masculinity. Okay. Um, Have you seen anything in the episodes yet that suggests that or no?
1: Uh, Not really. I mean, like, Jamie, I know Beth is always making fun of him for... Uh, possibly being gay and and not being manly enough and then when he he, you know, she's pushing him and he finally like he decks her in the face and she's like, Oh, a real man would have walked away, you know. So I've seen a lot of them kind of making fun of him for trying to pursue a different path than this like macho ranching stuff but i will say like with casey i feel like he's a little more emotional you know he likes to spend time with his son and he's very loving towards his his wife i don't know if him and monica are married or not but um so in you know in that regard i think that's probably one of the reasons i like him the most is because he shows the most affection um and seems to you know not just be this tough guy all the time
0: yeah even casey's older brother lee uh in this episode like he exhibits a lot of a lot of uh you know, toxic traits such as like he like he's ready to go to violence as as the first resort if need be. And um it's interesting how that guy's kind of mirrored with Casey's brother in law, who is uh, you know, he's also a veteran, but he lives on the reservation. And, you know, like the the first episode kicks off with uh with this, you know, this issue in which cattle have wandered onto the reservation. So the natives are like, okay, this is our land you can't come here and get that cattle and and it becomes this big issue because the ranchers are like listen that's our cattle it has our brand so it's ours and they're like well it's on our land and he's like the cattle don't know the difference between your land and our land and and, and uh chairman rainwater we'll talk about him in a bit too he's like well neither did we until the government showed us like uh, <laughs> you know that was that was they're great, using their own yeah. tricks against them because there was barbed wire on
1: those fences they said but it was removed so you uh-huh. know, they knew, they knew what they were doing to, to get the cattle to wander over. But again, yeah, it, it kind of brings up a valid argument there. It's, it's like, you know, you're claiming that we're stealing from you when you stole all of this from us, right? Like this is native land. These, you know, this should belong to that tribe, but instead, you know, someone like the Dutton family now owns most of the property. So is, is that really the fair,
0: the fair thing? So it, it, that was definitely a good uh, argument they brought up. You'll notice that there's also a theme as the season goes on, like you were introduced to Jenkins, who's one of the real estate guys, uh, that like him and John and so many other characters they bring into the show, like they really make sure that the villains are old white men. Um, (laughs) And in a couple of cases, the villains are young white men. Uh, But you'll find that the show actually has just um, like this constant theme of, all of the older men are actually the ones who are afraid. They're afraid of losing their land. They're afraid, afraid of losing their way of life. They're afraid of the new moving in on the old and changing things for them. And it actually turns out to be the women who are the ones with the most agency in the in the show like you mentioned Beth who is like she doesn't take shit from anybody and she does give Jamie a lot of shit she's constantly trying to emasculate him and start shit with him and you really do feel bad for Jamie for a lot of the show uh there you do find out and I'm not going to say exactly what it is but you do find out in the third season why she hates him so much I mean I know that she has some issues you know her they blame her for her mother's death and
1: uh, her mother was very hard on her. We, you know I've seen a little bit of that already, so she has some guilt and, and some things that have made her, I guess toughen up since since she was a child.
0: Yeah, to, to say the least, and she keeps showing everybody how tough she is as, uh, as an adult as well. She's probably she's definitely I'd say the best acted character in the in the show. But uh, also I, I'm talking about this example of you know the examples of masculinity in the show. You know, there is also kind of this theme of police brutality that's peppered throughout, which is interesting because while Taylor Sheridan does seem to paint a very woke story, also a lot of it is like big time bootlicker stuff like he is totally into the idea of like, all right, like, you know, the badass guys the ones who are, you know, like the military flak jacket wearing dudes with AR fifteens, like, you know, like those are the most badass guys. The only way to get shit done is gonna to be to do like a full on assault, which once again they get ranchers to do because these guys are like they're they're literally the rider <laughs> dies when it comes when it comes to the Yellowstone Ranch. So in the first couple episodes there's a case of a of a of a MMIW in which uh, you, you actually saw more recently than me so what case he finds this van or what? what
1: yeah so he i think he's driving home with his son they're kind of like you know just chatting and he sees this van uh pulled over kind of on the side of the road and he notices immediately that it sticks out so he kind of stops the truck he you know he's a little suspicious his son's like you know what's wrong and he's like i just got to check something but he takes a gun out of the glove box uh glove compartment and he he gets out of the truck and you know he peeks in and he sees a girl a native girl all tied up um, and it winds up turning out that these, these two white men were trying to kidnap her. And he, he does proceed to kill them. You know, he rescues her. It's a little bit of the white savior thing, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's oh, done yeah, in a way that, that does highlight a real problem. Um, you know, so again, he does save her, brings her back to her parents' house. And, you know, she's, she's upset, she's angry, she's been obviously beaten. Um, her father claims that she was not raped. Otherwise, you know, there, there would be no mercy for anyone. Um, they wound up having to go back, burn the bodies and bury them. So that no one knows, because I think the father says, you know, when one of us goes missing or dies, nobody cares. But if one of them goes missing or dies, everyone will. So that, you know, nobody can find these two white men's bodies.
0: A little bit later, Chairman Rainwater and the limited police resources he has, uh, they're interrogating Casey about what happened and... You know, it's, it, it, it's, this isn't necessarily a case of like overreach, uh, but they do have a moment in which Casey is saved by his brother, Jamie, who comes in. And Jamie is, uh, Jamie is a lawyer. He's like the only one of the Dutton kids who like doesn't work like directly with the ranch. He, he was sent to Harvard at a young age by his father to become something else that could help him defend, uh, defend this. Defend the ranch. Defend yeah, the, the, the legal aspect legacy. of it, right? And Because I think the yeah. whole idea is
1: that, uh you know, the Duttons want to control everybody and everything. So if they have their hands kind of in the pockets of every single, you know, area of, of government, of, you know, of the local authorities, everything they can, then nobody can take their land from them. So... Uh, I, I believe that Jamie wants to run for Attorney General so that, you know, he has even more power. Um and it's it's partly for him and partly for the ranch. But, yeah, so you know he he uses Jamie to kind of, you know, um to, for political reasons and and to try and 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 capture as much power as they can
0: and much like uh, Jamie Lannister and uh, Tyrion Lannister, Casey is the only one who's nice. To his <laughs> to his younger brother, <laughs> um, they 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 have a couple good uh, good moments in the in the show as well. But yeah, basically his brother comes, his lawyer brother Jamie comes, gets him out of everything. You know the cop says uh, he says I'm not afraid of lawyers, and Rainwater's like you should be. They're the only ones who know how to break the law. <laughs> um, but uh, but they're later on. Casey does I believe he becomes livestock commissioner. I think in season one, and sorry, like I said, there were gonna be spoilers, but this isn't like, you know, right, anything right, you right. would care about, like character related. Um but yeah, Casey actually becomes livestock commissioner and there's a case uh with stolen cattle in which he does end up having to shoot someone and he kills you them, surprised. of course. <laughs> yep. And and he kills them and uh and he and like he feels terrible about it. He doesn't tell his wife about it, but when he gets back to to his office, like all of these uh, all of these ranch owners are there shaking his hand, and they're like, they're like, you know, you did the right thing. Thanks for sticking up for us. You know, we know you you have our vote. Blah blah blah. Like it became this political thing, and you know, Casey just felt like he was doing his job, and he didn't even want to do that. Like he didn't want to kill this guy, but he was shot at first, and right. you know, he had to do his thing. Um, there's also another moment where he actually is first put into the livestock uh, commission agency by by his father, so you can kind of guess that while they do have their tensions, he does end up getting more involved with his own family. Yeah. But uh, you know, one of the one of the first cases they have to go on is the case of a uh, somebody is mutilating their own animals and making it look like wolves did it, so that way they get insurance payouts. And you know, once Casey finds this out like he's with one other livestock agent and there's a case where this agent pulls his gun on like a 15 year old kid who's trying to save his his father from going to prison or whatever so they both have guns on each other and Casey is the one who's trying to talk them down Interesting, and of Yeah. Casey's the one trying to talk him down. He's like, listen, your father's going to get a fine. He's going to get some community service and he's going to pick up trash on weekends. Like, please, is this really worth it? And the kid is considering it. And while he's considering it, the other livestock agent who in season three actually kills two other people, (laughs) two other suspects. (laughs) Yeah. And he keeps getting out. He's like the dunce of it, though. Like he's not like like the badass. He just is an idiot. Um but yeah, he kills two other people in the third season and Jamie has to be the one to get him out of it. So we're talking about, you know, like the justice system, blue wall of silence, stuff like right, that. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so he takes his gun out and shoots this kid right in front of his, his father. It's it's a terrible situation. And, um, you know, it sucks because they did like John Dutton basically owns the police and they did ask for reinforcements and they were never sent. And. You know, it it was it was just a really fucked up, fucked up case. So, like, there is a lot of talk in this show about overreach uh, regarding the justice system. Mm. And, um, you know, it it does basically all the most dangerous people who enter into the show at some point end up being women, educated, younger, unafraid women who are ready to speak truth to power. There's actually a native woman who comes in later, and she's kind of, she's a lot like Beth, and she's the one who is consulting with Chairman Rainwater. Just that being said, I'll talk about land and how that kind of relates to masculinity, and that'll go into the native stuff a big theme of this entire show just like you mentioned in the plot is land. John Dutton is obsessed with it. Uh you know, Chairman Rainwater is obsessed with buying it back because it was his people's in the first place. And then there's a bunch of other real estate moguls who come in and out of the seasons as the as the big bads of each season. Uh, who are who are trying to take that land from John Dutton. And there's no irony lost in that this was stolen land in the first place. And Rainwater brings it up every single chance he can. <laughs> At one point, I think in the beginning in the season three premiere, Monica's talking to John and she's like, looks like you're the Indian now. And she just walks away like, no. because he's now he has to fight for right. for his land. And I can say from personal experience, like when when I uh, go up to the country to my uh, to my father-in-law's land like he's t- he he would meet up with a couple of neighbors and like they were talking and all they could talk about was property that was like the biggest thing it was like oh you know i don't want anyone on my property You're like oh my property there like oh is that your property no it's my property so like just going along with the narrative today, it shows that like property is really what's most important uh, to to capitalists as specifically to to white capitalist men. Like it, it, it's always been about the land. It's always been about the property when protests happen and property gets destroyed. They care more about that than they care about why the protest happened, which is usually, uh, you know, an individual of color being shot. Uh, yeah. And no, no justice happening uh, on the side of law enforcement.
1: So um, let's talk a little bit about Thomas Rainwater.
0: Yes, please do.
1: He wasn't born on a reservation, which I thought was interesting, and yet he's kind of in charge of the whole thing, right? And I know he's trying to strengthen, um, you know, the the natives' kind of power. He wants to give them more resources and and more ownership, and you know, I think he's trying to form a bigger police force there. And um, you know, he's constantly at at arms with. Uh, with the Duttons, he's kind of like Marjorie Terrell to, uh, to <laughs> 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 and he's constantly playing mind games, right? With, uh, with Kevin Costner's character, John Dutton, it seems like, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if he's a good man or not. Uh, you know, in the first episode, Casey actually murders Monica's brother, right? That was, that was who she, who he killed.
0: Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, there, there is the whole land dispute, which we we could talk about a little more after we talk yeah. about rainwater. But so, yeah. so
1: you know, rainwater is he's constantly plotting right like i think he knows right from the start that it's probably casey who did the 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 murder and he he wants to he wants to get him but not quite like that and they have a couple of interactions which i thought were interesting um there's a part where there's like a meth lab that explodes and of course casey's driving by uh he stops finds this guy burning the death
0: place wrong time And the guy's like kill me
1: kill me so he's like all right he gets his gun and he kills him so um rainwater actually covers for him right he he has him switch uh Gun parts with with one of the the officers, so that it looks like the the cops the one that that executed the guy. Yeah, and put he, him out of his misery. he changes
0: out the the barrel and yeah, uh, and that's actually what's used to get Casey off the hook for murdering the two guys who were kidnapping uh, women on the res. Nice, yeah. nice. <laughs>
1: so so yeah, so you know that that was interesting. They they wound up uh, he wound up you know come with me. We got to purify ourselves, and they they go and they do uh, I don't know if it's like a, like a smoke bath or, or something like that, but. Um, you know, they're having this conversation and, and Rainwater talks about, um, about Casey's son. He says, uh, you know, did he look like you when he was born and Casey says, yeah, he doesn't look like me anymore. But when he was born, he did. And he goes, yeah, every, every boy looks like, uh, every child boy or girl looks like their father when they're first born. And that's nature's way of showing the father that it's their child. So they don't think it's someone else's and they kill it. And then he says, you know, um, men are not good, right? He says, no, no men are good but some of us try real hard to be. And I thought that was an interesting way, like of him acknowledging that he probably hasn't always done the right thing, and he's probably not always been a good man. But he, he maybe his intentions are good, and he's trying to help the people of this reservation that have been so forgotten about and so, um, you know, pushed to the side and mistreated and abused. And he's finally someone who, who's educated and. Uh, you know, he he's powerful and he's coming in here and he's trying to help them and strengthen them.
0: There's a Salt Lake Tribune interview where uh, Gil Birmingham, who is the, the actor who plays Thomas Rainwater, uh, he says it was such a beautiful opportunity to actually play a contemporary representation of a Native American because you rarely ever see that, especially one that has some kind of leverage and is a powerful player in the game. Uh, Rainwater has a Harvard education and his resume includes a successful stint on Wall Street before he became the tribe's chairman. Rainwater hasn't been able to wrest the land from the Duttons yet, but he has made life very uncomfortable for them at times. And uh, yeah, that goes to exactly what you said—that like he, he is a powerful dude, and he, you know, at his core, he may be trying to do the right thing, but he's going to do a lot of wrong things to get there. And uh, they do bring that up in the in the first episode that he has become. Uh, he he has become just like the white men, and now he's going to fight the way they fight because he, you know, like you said, he did. He was raised not knowing that he was a native, and that's actually Gil Birmingham's actual story. Oh, wow. I, I'm not sure with the lawyer part, but uh, you know, but he he was raised to believe that he was Mexican. Interesting. And then yeah, and then found out later on that that he uh, that he was actually that he was actually native, and you know, it is it is it's it's. Awesome, just to see this character because you do want to root for him, but he is doing just the same crooked stuff that all of the other characters are doing too.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you know what? I guess I guess it's easier to root for him because you know he's he is trying to help people that that are helpless in a way. You know, when when you compare the the people on the Res compared to the Duttons, there, there's a very difference in 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 power and lifestyle, and you know. You see like constant struggling, like uh, I think in episode three or four, there's a native woman who winds up killing herself, and it's because she had no food, and she had three kids. She couldn't afford food, she couldn't afford to care for her kids, um, and she had a sister, I think, that lived in Seattle, but they had had a huge fight about leaving the reservation, so the only way to get her kids a better life was to kill herself so the sister would come and take them. And, uh, you know, it was, it was so heartbreaking. It was, I think, uh, Monica calls it, you know, it wasn't a suicide. It was a sacrifice because that's, that's the life they, they have to lead where they're constantly struggling. You know, life on the res is not easy and it's not fair.
0: Yeah. That's something that, uh, Sheridan also put into wind river that there's a line that says on the reservation, you either survive or you surrender. Like that's, that's it. And, um, You know, I do think uh, there there is a really good narrative of speaking about like the limited resources that are available on the reservation. And um, I I really wish we had time to get into everything, but it is all in the show notes and sources. So please check it out there because uh, I was listening to the Red Nation podcast recently, and there's an entire episode that talks about MMIW. And they do talk about how like the the sexual violence upon native women stems from the the colonization and the oppression that st- that kickstarted this country that this country was built on and how like you know I didn't even think about this but the very act of like procreating with native women is was, was to create workers like that's what it was all about of course that's what a capitalist would do like they'd rate them they'd make more workers they're they're just another resource to you everything is um you know, they always talk about Robert Pickton, and I want to read a little bit about him from from an article. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Robert Robert Pickton um, brought attention to to a lot of uh, cases regarding missing individuals. Uh, the article starts with the man who headed up the 2012 inquiry into the Robert Picton police investigation says he learned that law enforcement would treat missing persons cases, particularly those involving marginalized communities, as an afterthought. And their response invariably would be, well, we don't have time to look for hookers. Your daughter is a drug addict. What do you expect us to do? And furthermore, she can go missing if she wants, and we can't stop her. There's no evidence of foul play. Uh, so this, that was, you know, this is evidence from the guy who investigated the case. Uh, but an interesting thing about Robert Picton was that Picton was suspected of targeting sex workers and other vulnerable women on Vancouver's downtown east side. Many of his victims were indigenous women, some dealing with addictions or mental health issues. Um, so, you know, once again, like I said, last episode, oh, no, I didn't say it during the Pocahontas episode, we were talking about alcoholism. <laughs> we could talk about missing, missing and, and murdered indigenous women if we ever cover Pocahontas too, because that's what they did to her.
1: Yeah. I actually, I have some, uh, some stats here from, uh, the attorney general office of South Dakota. And, uh, it, it was, it's pretty alarming, honestly. So. of the missing children in South Dakota are indigenous. 85%. And only 16% of the state's population is indigenous people under 19. So, (laughs) you know, if you look at that stat and and think about 85% of the missing children and it's only 16% that that only makes up 16% of the population total, it's, uh, it's insane. You know, um, people aren't talking about it, uh, doesn't really make the news you know, nobody really helps them find these children. Um, no one seems to really care. And it, it happens, you know, probably uh, more often than anyone would imagine. And, and yet, you know, how often do you hear anyone talking about this? And this is just one uh, one example, one, one, one state, you know. Um, but yeah. it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's horrible, you know. Uh, nobody, nobody's helping find these children.
0: Yeah, and a big reason for that involves jurisdiction, and that's, uh, that's another issue. I have an article from The Atlantic, once again, which we'll link to. It says, in 2011, the U.S. Justice Department did not prosecute 65% of rape cases reported on reservations. According to department records, one in three Native women are raped during their lifetimes, two and a half times the likelihood for an average American woman, and in 86% of the cases, the assailant is non-Indian. And it also points to a Supreme Court case from 1978, uh, Oliphant v. Suquamish. Uh, basically, it stripped tribes of the right to arrest and prosecute non-Indians who commit crimes on Indian land. So that means that white people can come. And I have another article, I believe also from The Atlantic, uh that talks about it. Oh, actually, I think it's this is the same one. Excuse me, but it says like the headline is basically like you can get away with whatever you want on Indian reservations. And I was like, I was offended just reading the headline. I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Are they saying like, oh, these guys are savages? Blah blah. blah. But no, they're literally saying that if you're white, you can go onto an Indian reservation, commit a crime, and legally they cannot prosecute you. Like if you commit yeah. a crime, you know, if you commit a crime against another white person on the reservation, like another non-reservation, um, uh civilian then then they cannot charge you on the reservation and even then like if you do go through their courts like they're only able to give you three years if they are able to charge you with anything a maximum of three years and the the biggest threat that they can really uh send your way is a traffic ticket
1: it's it's just like how are you supposed to police your own land you know they're like this is your land take care of it but then when you try to protect the people on it they tell you you can't do it it's illegal Right. So it's just like, what's the point? Like, you can't do anything.
0: Well, Rainwater says in a later episode that the reservations were supposed to be temporary, that they were supposed to learn how to assimilate, how to be white, how to be Americans and move into cities. And then the land would also be sold just like the rest of it. But he says they don't want they, they're not helping us because they don't want to. Right. Because right. they do want us off the land. They do want us to be eradicated and they do want The land, like that's what it that's what it was always about from the from the beginning. And and he says the same thing in season one and in season three. There's uh, do you remember the uh, the clip I showed you where Monica helps solve an MMIW case? Yes. yep, Yeah. So I don't know. I don't remember how much they showed of it in the clip, but uh, there's you know, there's an episode before where they talk about uh, Sila, who is a who's a missing missing woman on, on Yellowstone. Uh, She's unfortunately just introduced in this episode and it is as a victim. Uh, But this episode did did it it received a lot of praise. Uh, You know, there are people saying thank you for bringing this to light. We need to stop the violence and we need to search for our missing people. Another one said Yellowstone touched a sensitive topic, which is missing indigenous women. Hopefully it'll shed some light on this horrible issue. Like a lot of people were, you know. We're openly talking about it because, once again, Taylor Sheridan used his platform to to bring this to the forefront. And in a in a show that is so Eurocentric, it's amazing that he was still able to do this. I am curious, like, how many viewers
1: are really paying attention to that. Because um, the, the funny thing is, you know, I was talking to some people at work who watch this show. And all the people I know that, that people watch People at, at work, work
0: watch this show?
1: Yeah, but they're all conservatives.
0: <laughs> and
1: some uh, pretty racist people that I, <laughs> I work with that are fans of this show. So I'm curious. Oh my like, God, I'm racist. <laughs> like how much of, no, I'm not saying everyone who watches the show is racist. It just, it just happens to be. No, but I, people be, that I work with. is what with. I'm saying. I well, <laughs> need to we all have a little look. racism because, you know, it's a thematic. Um but, <sighs> but you know, like I, am really curious, like how much of that message are they really, you know, are they realizing that it's not fiction? You know, that's where I, I feel like, a lot of people especially white people kind of get lost you know they're like this is so horrible and the next day they're like trump 2020 you know what i mean so it's you know are they not realizing this is actually what happens are they that you know hidden from the truth that they don't understand it i don't know just just a thought i had you know when
0: i was watching this no but you're you're right it is so funny you say that because like while this stuff does start through the arts i think a lot of people do separate art from reality and um there there are some people who can't and are broken which is me um like <laughs> like everything dude i i could be i'll put my terminator review up on up on the patreon but like, you know, even when I was just stoned out of my mind watching the Terminator series and watching this movie, I was like, I was like, that was a really weird way to tackle immigration. Like, uh, like, actually, wait, that's how a drunk person talks, not a high person. I don't know what I sound like <laughs> when I'm high, but all the listeners of this podcast do. You just listen to any episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that's a really good point you bring up because because like my wife likes it. And while she is not racist or problematic, like I have had to remind her. She's like, no, they're good people. I was like. These aren't good people. She's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, the, the guy who starts a fight with Jimmy gets murdered. Like, he just starts a fight with a guy. Instead of just getting fired, they literally drive him to the top of a valley where four states pour all their garbage into, shoots him in the head, and kills him. Like, that's what they do at Yellowstone. Like, they're all murderers. No matter how much you like John Dutton's resolve or you like how much of a badass Beth is, like, they all do bad things. And as the show progresses, this is kind of a spoiler, but Monica and Casey move on to the ranch to raise their kid. and. It, it brings up a complicated question of Monica, is she now also a villain? Because while she may not be doing bad stuff, she is complicit. Like she is aware that less than stellar things are going on in, in Montana and that the Yellowstone Ranch is at the center of a lot of it. So, you know, do you just know that because you're at the epicenter, you're safe because, you know, like you're 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 protected by the by the most evil people in the valley or you know it's it's a rough it's a rough case and um you know like even even casey like he is always murdering people he tries to do the right thing um you know it's it, you know I, I like that i don't think that there are any holy good or holy bad people um actually real quick can we talk about monica's uh brother yeah Casey's sure his former brother-in-law Um, Because what's interesting is they make him kind of the antithesis to Casey's actual brother Lee in the first episode. Like he is very much like, you know, natives first. We're not taking any shit from the white man. Like he'll be the first to pull his rifle out as well. Um, And he, you know, he, he, he did some bad shit overseas as well. Like he seems a little unhinged. And it's kind of complicated because I think the show makes you think that, you know, you look at this guy and you're like, he's a fucking psycho. But is he? Like, is he really? Yeah. That's, that's a, I don't know. Like, because, you know, when the cattle get onto their property, he like, he doesn't do anything until one of the white guys crosses over onto their land and he'll fuck, he's like, boom, like puts him on the fucking ground and puts a rifle to his head.
1: Yeah. Like he won't start the fight, but he'll finish it.
0: Yeah. And then at the, the climax of the episode, when, uh, all the livestock agents are moving in for like a simultaneous, like we're going to take our cattle back, um, you know Casey's brother-in-law is there in the middle of the field waiting and fucking shooting at the helicopter of 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 Casey's father of like John Dutton like like and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of dudes on the native side who who have guns and are ready to go like you know the whole police force as small as it is has shown out and they're like yo this is don't come onto our land don't do this shit and um and yeah there is a moment where Lee uh he you know he says like oh if you want you know if you want them come and come and take him and sure enough he gets shot by casey's brother-in-law and he's like i'm taking him <laughs> yeah you know yeah. but but like he kind of has a right to be pissed about everything like the you know they're eating dinner at his house and casey's like are you gonna keep the cattle and he's like fuck you dude like of course we're keeping the cattle like what are you like what are you talking about
1: grant yeah definitely i mean um i wish we could have seen his you know the brother's character a little more to shame that he he was gone so quickly from the show but really Yeah. You know, there was there was some good tension in that first
0: episode. That's for sure. Yeah. So. So back to when uh, when there was this missing case in season three, uh, basically, they don't they don't have a lot of resources. They pull together like, uh, you know, a bunch of volunteers. Casey makes some calls. Monica makes some calls. At this point, she's teaching at the university, which we'll talk about in a bit as well. Uh, But, you know, she gets a few of her students and she alongside rainwater agrees to be a decoy because there's really no way to catch this guy or stop him and of course it's almost impossible to it's almost impossible to prosecute people so monica pretends that her car has broken down on the side of the road and a guy picks her up and he attempts to kill her and she has to run for her fucking life and this guy's on top of her, and he's choking her, and he's like, why can't you ever make it easy? Why do you always at the fight? And he gets fucking sniped in the head by one of my favorite characters. And this character, who, you know, we still know so little about, but he's awesome whenever he's on screen. His name is Mo. he That's the actual is... actor's name, right? I think it might be. Yeah. yeah. I think he just,
1: he just listed as Rainwater's driver, but I think they... They started he using is. his real name uh, for the character yeah.
0: too. Yeah, because he goes from being Rainwater's driver to being basically his version of Rip. Like he's his right-hand man and he's the motherfucker who can get shit done. Um, the, you'll see in the season two finale, they end up having to do like kind of this, uh, you know, like this, this, this raid. And, you know, like, so obviously Rip and Casey are there because they're fucking badasses and shit. And then Moe is also there with them. And uh, and it's awesome. And he's like putting like he's like takes like some lipstick or something and he's putting like symbols on on his horse. So the horse doesn't get shot. And then Rip's like, could you put any of that on me? He's like, Like, no, it's uh, it's it's good. But yeah, you know, it was it was really I don't know. It was it was it was wild. It was graphic to see that in an episode. The episode is actually called uh, I Killed a Man Today because Monica takes responsibility for for this guy dying. Even yeah, though. yeah, we should
1: talk a little bit more about Monica cuz I think she's uh arguably one of the the best characters if not the best character in the show because, you know, she is a native woman, right? She's she's with Casey uh, of the Dutton family. And I feel like when whenever I see her, she comes off as a very uh caring but but intelligent and powerful woman, you know, and and her being willing to put herself in danger for this for this bust, you know, to get this guy is is a huge deal, right? Like that's that's a really big moment, um, and you know, you showed me a couple of clips with her that you know just shows like the the, the things that she experiences—the racism, the the ignorance that she has to deal with—and um, yet, you know, she's she still comes out on top, and she, you know, she proves that that she is a strong a strong person. Um, so yeah, that, that that scene in particular was you know was brutal, and she obviously was very emotional for her. She's covered in blood, and you know, very shook up, but. You know she helped. She helped catch him, and so he can't do it to someone else. Um, and and there was another episode, uh, a clip that you sent me, where
0: she's I think teaching a college ca- uh, class, right? Yes, yeah, she starts teaching at a local university, and she's teaching a class. Uh, a, I think the class is about Christopher Columbus. Right.
1: Yeah. So when she walks in, someone's like, "Oh, are you the teacher's age?" She's like, "No, I'm the teacher." And this uh, this you know, bro, guy's like, "You know, I saw a Pornhub video that starts like this." And uh, she shuts him down real fast. You know, she starts talking about how um, you know power can define someone's life, and how she has the power to fail him and kick him out of the class, to uh, send him to the dean, to change his life forever. You know, that's the kind of power she could she could exert on him at any moment. And she talks about Christopher Columbus and and the horrible things you know he said and did to to the to the natives. Um, and, and she has this really great, uh, quote that I wrote down. She says to her class after reading this little excerpt by Coloma, she goes, what you know of history is a dominant culture's justification of its actions. And I don't teach that. I'll teach you what happened to my people and to yours, because we're all the descendants of the subjugated, every one of us. And I thought that was so great. Beautiful. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously, uh, the natives have been, he- you know, heavily abused, have gotten the worst deal of all. But you know she, she's she's talking about class as well in this situation. Uh, you know, Absolutely, not she class is, yeah. structure, not not her, her class, but you know, and she's discussing <laughs> how these themes, um, the, the politics of it, the social you know, status of it. Everyone is subjugated. We have all been taken advantage uh, advantage of by you know the people more powerful than us. They've exerted their power and dominated every one of us, whether you're white, black, brown, native, you know, whatever you might be. Um, and she wants to teach them. The truth of that she wants them to see that she's going to teach them true history and make them understand you know how we've been taken advantage of there and uh, I thought that was great I thought that was an awesome scene I love that she's you know right off the bat she's she's making it known that she's not going to just be your you know your this teacher who's just going to read the textbook to you she's going to really get in there with them and make them understand reality which I think we've talked about on the show is like something that's not really taught in school a lot
0: Oh yeah, yeah, we definitely have, and we've also uh, covered that that class struggle. And I thought that that was great that that she she mentioned it as well. And you know, obviously, you saw it the same way I did. But now it does beg the question: like those conservative people who love watching the show, like my wife's grandmother loves watching the show as well. But she's like, "Oh, Rip's a sexy cowboy." Yes. Yes, he is. There's a lot of sexy cowboys. Yeah. One of which is a black uh, cowboy who wears a uh, an Africa uh, necklace. He, nice. He's actually a pretty cool character. Um, you know they they do they do okay with representation in this. Um, but yeah, you do have to wonder if like the people who are watching it are watching it just because like there's white guys with guns who are cowboys and you know they know how to change a tire unlike these millennial cucks or yeah. you know are they are they taking in like okay wow like. You know, because at no point in the show do any of the white people question the natives to, like when they're like, oh, you stole our fucking land. John Dutton's like, yeah, right, you know, well, like that's like... not true. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, like you get it. Like, I think you get did it in not. real life
1: more, though, right? Like people will try oh, to yeah. deny the truth. But in the show, they're not. Everybody knows it's the truth. It's just
0: a matter of like, well, you know, fuck it, right? Like, we're... yeah, it kind yeah. of is what it is now. Um, <laughs> Mo- yeah, Monica has a lot of amazing moments. I do feel that what prompted her to uh, help in that indigenous women's case was that she, uh, was that she kind of felt like a sellout, and, um, you know, she barely visits the reservation when she moves back onto the ranch, and, um. You know, she does. Yeah, it's, you know, it's rough. And I think that once she, you know, it's like she talks to Casey. She's like, women are still dealing with all the stuff I had to deal with growing up, growing up. And but I'm here sitting in a bathtub the size of a swimming pool. Like, you know, she realized that by marrying into this family, she does have a certain amount of privilege now. And, you know, there are several moments in which, you know, she she has to decide, am I going to use this privilege to be an ally? Uh, There's also a moment where Beth uses her privilege to be, I want to say an ally, but also more, more kind of an anti-hero. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's a scene in which Monica is in a, lo- in a local boutique, and the woman who runs the boutique is accusing Monica of stealing. And obviously Monica denies having stolen anything, and so then the woman calls the cops in, and they end up doing this whole strip search, and, and, and she's like, what happened to Innocent until proven guilty? And she's like, well you know the if you have nothing to hide then you'll you know you'll submit to the search and it's kind of like you know once again just talking about the overreach of law enforcement how just figuring out if you committed the crime can also be a punishment yeah and um you know there but yeah it's humiliating right
1: like it's, it's
0: taking away her dignity Oh, yeah. You know, and she gets into the, they, she has to go in the changing room. And then the woman is like, oh, I think I saw her sneak the ring down her pants. So now they do a strip search as well. And, and, uh, and Beth comes in and, and she's like, you know for a fact she didn't steal anything. And she basically calls out the cops and, uh, and, and they leave. And then she starts wrecking the shop to get back at this woman, starts breaking her down emotionally because of shit she did in high school, work she's had done to her. Like Beth is like, you know, it, it it seems like she's obviously problematic because of how she emasculates Jamie all the time and 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 says homophobic derogatory things at him. Um, but I also think that she just knows how to get to you, and she knows that Jamie's lack of masculinity—he wanted to be a rancher, his father wanted him to be a lawyer—is one of his insecurities, and she goes in on this woman's insecurities. She starts making her undress, like she actually does terrible stuff. And Monica's like, Monica's like, doing this to her doesn't undo what she did to me. And, um, and Monica's like, whatever, I'm leaving now. And she just tells the woman, she's like, just tell me you judge me because of the color of my skin. And she's like, I did. I saw your skin. And she was like, okay. Um, there's also a moment where they empty out her bag and there's a, a U.S. history textbook. And she's like, oh, you guys want to keep that? You should. <laughs> nice. Have, have you seen Sons of Anarchy? So I saw like... Uh, similar i've seen as much sons of anarchy as you've seen of yellow okay all right there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. similar
1: dynamics in terms of uh the main characters and, and and like the family aspect like uh jack's teller from that is very much like casey in this like he wants to stay away from the family but he keeps getting dragged back in and his wife tara is very much like uh like monica like she you know she understands like you know the power dynamics of the fan. It, it's just interesting to me. It kind of hit me that it, there's a lot of similarities
0: there. I'm gonna have to look into it because I know that you were into uh, into Sons of Anarchy for a bit. Uh, I you know I watched a few episodes and and obviously there there's a connection. Um, have you seen the Mayans at all or no? Not yet. It's on my it's on my list. I mean I don't know if we've if we've discussed it before, but like a lot of people don't realize that like South Americans are natives. Yes. Like they they are just instead of being fucking colonized by the English, they were colonized by the Spanish. Yep, And, you know, that they do have very strong connections to to their native culture. And, uh, you know, of course, unfortunately, after fighting off the Spanish, uh, they ended up having to fight the Mexican-American War in which a bunch of more of their land was taken. And, you know, it's it's like constantly a cruel joke that that the United States is telling them to go back to where they came from despite the fact that our land is where they came from. Yep. Um, you know, uh, one of the one of the big themes that I I surmised myself is that just for being a native person in general, existence is resistance. Like Rainwater brings it up several times how that any time they could just assimilate and there will be no more reservations. Uh but that's you know that's not the case. He's like he's like we're gonna get the land back. He's like and we're gonna buy it with their money because you know once again he he's got that Harvard degree. He's got that business degree. He's opening up casinos left and right. Like he's you know he's he's in it to win it, playing their game to beat them, uh, which you know which which is also in itself a form of resistance. Um, I also want to know how after uh, Monica gets saved by Beth she you know beth invites her to go out for a drink beth is an alcoholic also like cersei and you know monica says that she doesn't drink this goes into what we were talking about alcoholism and substance abuse issues on reservations uh because she says that alcohol is illegal on reservations so there's something called ocean water which is lysol and water and they drink that in order to to get drunk and um you know, this uh, at this point, Monica has a physical therapist because of an accident she's in. Did you see any of the season two ones or no? Uh, no. I all I saw was um that clip from the the classroom. Um, but yeah, he be, like so the guy who's helping her through her injury, which she sustains while being a teacher on the reservation. Um, you know, I didn't actually uh, have time to look into it, but I'll I'll look into it and put in the show notes and just see how much. Um, how much funding education is able to receive on reservations as well. Uh, because, you know, like that one guy said, any problem that we have here gets gets multiplied by five when it hits reservation. So, but yeah, her physical therapist is telling her like, listen, if you only show them the tragedy, if you only teach tragedy, they'll see us as tragic. So, she does make an effort to like, uh, bring her class to, uh, to the, the horse relays, you know, the, the, the manhood ritual and everything, uh, which, you know, we actually talked about in the Watchmen episode, the, uh, lessons in commands horsemanship and, uh, um, and she also brings her class to a, uh, a rap show on, on the reservation, which is pretty huh. awesome. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and like the 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 douche kid from her class, like he's reading uh the ticket collector's shirt, and she thinks he's looking at her tits, and it says like uh you know ask me why I stand or something like that because like you know they're talking about you know I think it's a relative to talking about Standing Rock and stuff like that. They're standing up for their land. Mm, okay. And uh yeah, and she's like she, you know she says something to him and calls him like a motherfucker, and he's like talking to him. He's like, am I safe here? And she's like, you're you're safe. Don't worry. Um, you know, there's people freestyling wearing, uh, make America great again hats, except that says make America native again. Nice. Um, you know, she's listening to one of the songs like, it, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. I did a, you know, a little, uh, project in college about talking about how rap has infiltrated so many different parts of the world and has been used as a form of resistance, rap and hip hop, the spoken word. And, uh, you know, it, it's also right here at home where you have people on native, uh, you know native land who are also speaking speaking truth to power and talking about their experiences uh using using their rap lyrics and monica actually cries during during that part too because she's i think she feels like a sellout honestly because as sweet of a character as she is she still does benefit from a lot of privilege just by marrying into the dutton family um you know so i do do think that there are multiple times when she feels kind of like she's you know she's forsaken her her own people Wow.
1: Do um do they go into blood quantum at all in in the show?
0: I'm not even sure I know what it is. Tell me.
1: Oh, uh, so blood quantum is, uh, basically, a way that was designed to, measure the amount of Native American blood that someone has, Um, and it's highly controversial because it can affect your identity, your relationship, and whether or not you or your children are considered a member of a tribe. Because certain tribes have a a percentage of blood that you need to have. So for example, uh, the Navajo Nation requires a minimum of 25% Navajo blood. So if you have 21%, you cannot be a member of the Navajo tribe. Which then means you don't get any of the supposed um, benefits to being a native American for, you know, college or anything like that. So you're basically, it's a way of, um, taking away people's identity, you know, because they were, they were, you know, children forced from their, their parents' hands. And then, you know, they wound up marrying someone who's not native and and the blood gets, uh, more and more diluted. So it's, it's a really controversial way of, of basically taking away land from people and, um, and controlling natives, another another method right there. So it, it's 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 pretty brutal. Um, I do have an article that I, I you know we can put in the show notes about it. Um, yeah, I was curious if they if they brought that up at all because I know that's that's always a, a common way of keeping native people down and and, and loopholes and, and ways to to prevent them from from taking what is theirs or what what they supposedly own. Um, Yeah, so blood quantum simply is the amount of Indian blood that an individual possesses. The federal government, and specifically the Department of the Interior, issues what is called a certified degree of Indian blood. That is a card similar to an ID card. So the way that blood quantum is calculated is by using tribal documents. And usually it's a tribal official or a government official that calculates it. But really, it's a mathematical equation. So the quantum is a fraction of blood that is derived going back to the original enrollees of a tribe who were counted on census rolls. And then their blood quantum was documented. And usually those original enrollees had a full blood quantum typically.
0: So uh, yeah, wow. pretty wild. So, so I, I was going to ask, but I think you answered my question already the individuals who come up with this, or sorry, the powers that be who come up with this rule are the federal government. Yes, the
1: government, the government. Okay, because
0: I was going to be like, why would the Navajo exclude people for 4% difference? But of course, it's, yeah, you know, like you said, it's clearly meant as a gatekeeping tool, so that way the government doesn't have to uh, administer benefits to people who really need it. Exactly. 25%. And you know what's so fucked up, dude? It's always been up to them to choose how much of a a certain... uh, percentage of a person you are like what your ethnicity is what your identity is you know like it's um you know they did the like the brown paper bag test was used to determine how black somebody was they had the one drop rule they had the grandfather clause they had um you know I, I just found out the other day talking about uh you know uh, like tests to, to prove someone's ethnicity and stuff there used to be a pencil test dude that really? legit, if, yep, yeah, if somebody could drop a pencil through your hair, you were considered white, but if it got stuck, you would be considered black. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm not shocked, but. I, I know. So, I I technically would be considered black because it would definitely get caught in my hair. Wow. And, like. You know, and that's something that I've been coming to terms with myself, just as far as my identity goes. You know, I'm not sure how much I've spoken about it, but like my father did not want me to be anything other than white growing up. Like he, I think, was a very he was very ashamed of his uh, Dominican heritage. He, you know, was always with white women, always had white friends, uh, did everything he could to make sure he didn't have an accent because it was all about being accepted and assimilating. Uh, much right. like Rainwater mentions, and uh, you know, because of that, I never really got to learn about myself. And like, I don't, you know, all he ever did was put hair gel in my hair. I never knew like what's good for my hair as far as product goes, you know, uh, you know, because I, I actually, I like now in the past few years, I've learned to love my curls. And you know, just learning about that was was very was very shocking to me. Um, you know, apparently they also used to uh, plot out escape maps to freedom in cornrows on people's hair. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so like, there's like a strong cultural heritage that goes back to everything, and yeah, you know, so like, people don't realize when it comes to appropriating culture that they're like, oh, it's just a funny thing, like I made dreads or something, yeah. or like I put on this funny hat or whatever. It's like, yo, these were like legit what people had to do in order to survive at a certain point. Like, yes, your appropriation is, you know, is is, is traumatizing. Yeah, people they don't
1: get that. Um, but, but this, so this blood quantum, and the, the craziest thing I, I think about it is that um, each tribe gets to determine the percentage that someone can be to be in their tribe. So it's kind of like a catch 22 of, you know, why would you set it at 25% knowing that the government has set this blood quantum, you know? But I guess it's also a way of preserving that, you know, some jackass who has, you know, 1% doesn't come in and and reap the benefits of you know something that belongs to someone who's actually native so it's a uh, it's a tough spot you know it I, I, it's tough for 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 everyone involved I think to really um, figure out what the
0: best way of handling that is. Yeah, and I'm sure it also comes down to numbers, as as everything does, right? Like, yeah. you know, they probably give you a certain budget. They're like, all right, you have this much in year for benefits for your people. Yeah, how many people are going to be getting it? So it's like, okay, now maybe we got to keep that 25% yeah. in order, you know, for 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 us to make it. Um, you got
1: it. Yeah, you got to make hard hard choices.
0: Um, I also want to note that the woman in that boutique uh, that was harassing Monica was wearing like a bunch of turquoise. There was so much like native stuff around that that had been taken by, you know, by the you know, the white people and and appropriated into their culture. I mean, a lot of things are appropriated. Like people don't realize that the whole reason cowboys exist is is because it comes from Mexico the term was originally vaquero which you know means cow cowman vaca is cow so they were vaqueros and you know because literally they would they would lead cattle like across the plains you know they were literal cowboys and like that that was a mexican term that was taken and and appropriated by you know by white men who would do the same job wow so yeah You know, basically, like at a certain point or another, everything has been stolen. I'm not trying to make white people feel fucking guilty, but just when you talk about history, realize that shit. I think just acknowledging it, right? Like we just
1: have to acknowledge it, because I think white people are always so defensive about it. They're like, "Well, I didn't do it," and it's like we we're not saying you did, but you have to acknowledge that these people are in a uh, you know worse off position because it happened to them. You know, if we just dismiss that and we, we just pretend like it never happened, then you can never really move on from it. You can never learn from it. So I think we have to acknowledge these these horrible things happen in order to help these people heal and actually find some sort of equality.
0: Because the only way to reach true equality is through equity, you know, and, yeah. that's, and that's it based on, you know, 400 years of unpaid labor that African slaves had to go through, um, you know, based on based on all the terrible atrocities uh, suffered by by native people, like historically, like these are all reasons why why those communities are kind of left behind and why those who are successful from those communities are the exception. Whereas if you're white it's normally like expected of you like oh there's another white billionaire of course there's another white billionaire what what the fuck else would he yeah. be yeah <laughs> like, you know it's it's expected for you to be successful and, and and achieve greatness so um yeah I don't know just just something to keep in mind there and I, I do you, have a
1: I do have a cool little uh thing that happened for some indigenous folks in nova scotia um a, a pretty big victory for them if, if you don't mind i'm just going to bring it up real quick there, there recently there's been um some attacks on fishermen i'm, I'm not going to even try to say the the tribe's name because i want to butcher it and that's really upsetting so i don't want to do that to them but um there's a first or
0: you will uh you'll fillet it Ooh, it's fish. nice. That I'm was sorry. good. Well All done. Right, well done. Sorry.
1: Uh so the First Nation there, they are allowed to to basically fish for lobster outside of the designated season because I guess there's there's less uh there's less indigenous fishermen than there are commercial fishermen um, and because it's it's important to their survival. But a lot of commercial fishermen in the area Are greatly opposing that, right? So they actually have been harassing this this First Nation um, horribly, cutting their fishing lines, attacking their boats. They actually came in a mob and attacked one of their facilities. Um, The police did nothing. It it was of course they did. It was it was really horrible, and they were getting really terrified. um, And and it was actually you know preventing them from surviving in in a way they weren't able to do what what you know was so important to them. But um, they actually that First Nation just bought Clearwater, Atlantic uh, Canada's largest seafood firm. So they went ahead. Fuck yeah. Uh, it's worth $1 billion. And they pulled their money and they did a joint venture to actually purchase it so that now not only will they be able to fish, but they own one of the largest uh, you know, fishing um, companies there. So these commercial fishermen, many of them may be even working for them now at this point. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty historic victory and, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting for them. Uh, cause you don't see this happen too often, right? We were just talking about how much native people have lost and how they never really get anything back. And look, they're, they're doing this, they're doing it legally. Uh, and it's a big fuck you to, to everybody who, who didn't want them to, to do with you know, how they survive. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, I wanted to bring that up as a
0: little. little little hopeful message that is that's awesome you know because like that guy said if you only teach tragedy they'll see us as tragic that's right um you know oh also he does follow that up with say saying um show them what we're fighting for you know like what we're fighting to preserve um so so yeah that, that that's awesome to hear finally a win there's i also want to bring up one uh one last part there are a bunch of awesome moments that i have in the show notes so definitely check those out guys we weren't able to get to get through everything but you know it is a lot when you're like reviewing a show (laughs) yeah i mean there's there's so yeah there's so much three
1: seasons and we're we're really focusing on on natives this month so yeah while there's probably some other great moments throughout the show about uh you know the duttons and other characters i think we did a good job focusing on on native aspects of the of the show
0: uh but there is that moment where monica brings her class to the uh to the the horse uh well it's it's not necessarily the the actual um uh horsemanship uh ritual it's like practice but mm. one of her students turns to her and she's like what does this have to do with columbus and she's like absolutely nothing but look at all you've learned nice and that was like that was really beautiful because it just kind of showed me that stripping the oppressor from the narrative um, if I, it shows what has always been erased or what's been hidden, because that's what the oppressor was there to do, to erase and hide things. Well, I learn about Columbus. We can
1: learn about the people that live there, right? And their, their practices and, and what, what was taken from them. Cause that's probably a lot more rich and fulfilling than, than what we've learned about Columbus and his horrible fucking acts of violence. So
0: yes. And uh, they don't make a point to bring it up, but after that one kid is shot by a livestock agent, uh, there's like a full-scale investigation and compared to how they handle all the stuff that happens on the res uh, it's it's like a very clear contrast they don't they don't mention it verbally but I think it does show a lot that they're putting all these resources into finding out why a white kid was shot and they don't care about the natives at all um, yeah the media is used by rainwater though because once again he uses the white man's tactics. so at the end of the first episode where uh, there was that shootout on his land he like there are a couple of native bodies and he smiles and he's like he's ready to use that media attention to his advantage and uh you know i i guess just talking about media attention you know it's it's important that we do see these things in our in our media it's important that we are made aware of these because even you know for as Let's say it is it, it's, a, it's a show that definitely does attract a conservative base because of the content that's in it. Uh, but for, you know, for me, like being like, all right, what the fuck is my fiance going to make me watch now? <laughs> you know, because that's, yeah, that's who she was at the time. I was like, holy shit. Like, look at this. Like it is. It's definitely just like you said, Pocahontas was right. Like Pocahontas was made to cater to a white audience. And I think that Yellowstone definitely was as well. I do think that they they do make it a uh, they do a pretty good job of putting in native issues and bringing attention to them and hopefully more people than just myself you know recognize that
1: yeah he, he's clearly making the Duttons the villains right you know the the Duttons are kind yeah. of the villainous characters um, even if they are the protagonists so I think uh, it was very intentional to to show this and and show the you know what what native people suffer on the res and and. And how they've been mistreated, even to this day, when people want to say racism doesn't exist, right? And you can look at this and see that that's very, very much not true.
0: Yeah, and that, like, this isn't just a TV show. This is literally based off of real experiences. And, uh, you know, obviously, that's why we do this fucking podcast in the first place. (laughs) Like, you know, like everything we talk about, we relate to real world stuff. So, um so yeah, it's it's it is it is definitely one of my favorites. Um, it, it the coo- it is cool to go back and rewatch stuff because I uh, I can't give you the specific characters, but we we also find out later on that not only is law enforcement lacking, not only is education lacking, not only you know are resources for for poverty lacking, but they have a, a an area on the reservation where you can get an abortion. But the only way that they can do it because they're limited resources uh, is to give you a hysterectomy, which oh. means that they take out the woman's uterus and she can never bear children again. Oh my god! So, yeah. So that was also a quick, you know, a quick thing they threw in there. They didn't even make the whole episode about that. But, but it's in there. what happened? Yes. But what? But that abortion or hysterectomy, whatever, it doesn't happen to a native woman. Oh, it happens to a white woman. And when you see it, you'd be like, Oh fuck. Like, you know, it's interesting to see that native problems also are impacting white people in different ways. You know, Hmm. Casey being on the reservation in the first couple episodes, you know, that character having to go and, and get a procedure done. And, um, you know, lots of, lots of other stuff, but, but yeah, hopefully you've been able to enjoy, uh, me telling my friend about a show I like, the podcast, <laughs> uh, and, and the, 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 the friend having watched some of it, um, friend, do you, do you think that you will continue Yellowstone at some point?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely, I definitely, um, plan on at least finishing the first season and, you know, if I'm still enjoying it, I'll probably keep going. It's, uh, it's intriguing. I'm curious to see where it goes next.
0: Yeah. Like I said, um, if, 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 The first season is definitely great. I think the climax is a little lackluster. Season climax of uh, season two, the finale is a lot better, and uh, you know, in season three, definitely has its moments. I wouldn't say that any of them are bad. Um, There is a lot of like, oh, stock markets and real estate. Like, there's a lot of that talk. Right. But if you were able, if you were able to get through all the like. Oh, we can call the banners of, of this house, and oh, the North will never stand behind you. Like, oh, actually, if you could get behind that with all the cave of throats. you could definitely sit through, you know, Beth being like, they're not going to take our land no matter what. <laughs> Smokes cigarette, drinks whiskey. Yep. Hey, quick question for other hospitals yeah. on
1: reservations, because when, when they called 911, it took 45 minutes for that ambulance to get there.
0: In uh, in which case? uh, When that meth lab blew up. Oh, when the meth lab blew up. Yeah, so I kind of forgot about that episode. There was actually a, uh, a child who um, was believed to have had only a cold, but 12 hours later he was struggling to breathe. Uh, his mother rushed her to a hospital in western South Dakota where the doctors said they didn't have the capacity to treat him and transferred him to a private hospital in Rapid City. And uh, there he was actually given a life-threatening diagnosis of uh, respiratory disease. Uh, title virus, Syncidal Sync virus. Whoa. Uh, and she said, uh, they told me if I hadn't brought him back in, he would have died. And, um, you know, it said that he was lucky to have survived that day. Uh, but, uh, But the problems at SUSAN, which is one of 24 hospitals nationwide run by the Indian Health Service, an arm of the Department of Health and Human Services, are pervasive. Five government investigations have found that the patients have died at SUSAN from inadequate care or are often given wrong diagnoses and are treated by staff members who have not been screened for hepatitis and tuberculosis. So to answer your question, yes, there are Hospitals on reservations, but um, they are few and far between. And once again, just like everything else, not given the resources. Like, so you can imagine, like, when I looked up that thing, one of the first results that came up was a COVID uh, regarding, um, was a COVID notice regarding Indian reservations. Interesting. So, wow. So, yeah, I mean, this is rough comrades that what we got to do is when we get our commune together which is going to be all of us just pooling all of our <laughs> money buying a piece of land bringing our different talents to it um we, we're gonna see if uh how much how much of that money we can maybe we'll move in right next to a reservation and then help help build each other who knows nice, i, I don't, like that. I like that. <laughs> i don't know but honestly dude like i think i, I think like i don't know the the resistance kind of has to start you know the revolution has you know has to start with them as well like they they were the first, you know, they were the first victims of, of a Eurocentric capitalist system that our entire country, you know, in the failing late stages of capitalism is run after. Like, we are running based on a terrible system that should have evolved by now, and it hasn't. And we never gave an original system on North America's continent time to flourish. So, um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, and, you know, like I said to you off, Mike, the part of you, the small part of you that probably still likes all those cool, like, you know, badasses wielding guns and running in to save people, like, you know, that 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 is very much a part of of the Yellowstone show. Uh, you know, for for multiple reasons. it's you know, it's it's been one of my favorites. and I hope that it continues to do. i want I do want it to do more more native related stuff just because like especially now that's just the story I'm more interested in, right. Um, Same. You know, because I don't care about the guy losing his land when, you know, uh, it <laughs> wasn't his land anyway. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. He says when they, they have to go to a meeting or something because they're going to do some sketchy shit. Um, I think this is season two toward the toward the finale. It's Rainwater that fuck Jenkins and uh and Dutton. And they're all meeting on the Yellowstone Ranch. And and he's talking to Mo while he waits for John. And he says, like, you know, like not too long ago our ancestors were here they hunted this land they camped this land they you know they you know they they slept here they looked they slept under the stars like until one day john dutton's great-great-grandfather decided to build a build on this land and say it was his like that's it yeah you know so it is something that's always there it's like it's always in the forefront like we said your your race is a part of your identity whether you want to admit it or not um You know, he uh, he also during that meeting at the very end, he says like he says like this has to be kept quiet because if a livestock commissioner breaks the law, it's not going to change the way the whole world views livestock commissioners. He's like if I if they if I'm found breaking the law, then it'll destroy my people. Everyone's going to going to start. You know, looking into reservations and and, uh, you know, and holding their leaders uh, to different standards and thinking they're all criminals and stuff like, man, you know, so as powerful as somebody like Rainwater is, he still does have a lot on the line just as a native man, you know, as much as John Dutton does. But five times more. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say that. Yeah. Let's say that. Wow. Ty, do you know um what we're reviewing next week? Uh, I believe we're going to be doing even the rain. That's right. Okay. So listen, Politopopheads, tune in next week for Even the Rain. The final part of our Indigenous Spotlight Month, right? It it is. Indigenous Spotlight Month. That's such a good way to describe it. I should have called it that from the beginning. <laughs> I'm like hashtag like Indigenous People's Awareness Month, Happy like Indigenous Day, which is a day you know. Um but yeah, uh, and you know, it'll probably be a good a good follow up to uh, Pocahontas and Yellowstone. I think so. Uh, you know, to to definitely have a native centric cast again, but uh, but you know, I de- I definitely uh, enjoy talking about one of, one of my favorite shows with you, and you know, a, a socially aware show at that, especially, uh, you know, especially today, I think is a very is a is a very bold statement. Yeah,
1: and it finally um, got me to watch it, so uh, it was good.
0: There you go. I on- honestly, this is probably selfish of me, but I was like, it's the only way I'm gonna fucking get him to watch this. <laughs> <show."> <laughs> Son of a bitch! Oh, the man. only way. <laughs> And even then, what was it, four episodes of season one? Yeah, listen, that's pretty good, man. That No, that, that is pretty good, especially for you. I was a little disappointed because I was like, no, you got to watch those specific episodes. But you're like, oh, I might actually watch the show. I'm like, fuck. So he doesn't want to spoil shit. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, but but we'll definitely check in and do Yellowstone updates. We will. And that'll be let fun. You know, let y'all know on the Patreon. Remember, uh, our Patreon link is going to be in the show notes and sources as well. We have uh, $3, $6, and $9 tiers with a bunch of different and very fun benefits. So definitely get on that. Give us support you can. Check it out. Yep. You can uh, listen to us and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean it. If you're not able to find us on one of your podcasts of choice, let me know and I'll get us there. Um, you can find us on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe to our video, uh, like our video, subscribe to our channel. You can find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod, Instagram at PolitipopPodcast, email us at gmail.com, and find our show notes and sources at politipoppodcast.wordpress.com. Special thanks to all of you listeners and to Antonia Chava for logo design. For the Politipop Podcast, I have been Mike Booch, a.k.a. I'm doing one at the end, Ooh. a.k.a. Chairman bong water and i've been ty remember no matter what you're watching what you're reading what you're listening to no matter what you're doing to learn about indigenous people this month because please do never stop thinking never stop learning and always remember to read between the lines
1: and scene
0: all right